What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Jeremy Larson. In this episode, I'm going to preview both of the Monday Night Football games. We have the Giants hosting the Packers, and we have the Dolphins hosting the Titans tonight. Both of them will be kicking off at 8.15. And then at the end of the episode, I'm going to talk about the Clippers, since I haven't really talked about them much as of late. They've really started to turn things around, and that's the main reason I haven't come on here and talked about them in a while, is because they've been winning, and I haven't been talking about them, so I didn't want to jinx them. So I've been riding the win streak, and obviously they have flipped things around, so I'm going to talk about them a little bit at the end of the episode. So let's start off with the Giants-Packers game. The Packers have turned this season around. They're now 6-6 six and six on the season with three wins in a row. They do have some key injuries heading into tonight's game. They won't have Jair Alexander, who's their best cornerback, will not have Aaron Jones, and will not have Christian Watson, so there's their biggest receiver and best receiver. He will not be in the lineup. So that's three losses there, and also linebacker Quay Walker is also questionable for tonight's game. So a lot of injuries there for the Packers. Won't have their best receiver in Christian Watson, and will also be without their best defensive player in Jair Alexander. So some losses there and some opportunities for the Giants to try to take advantage of those guys not being in the lineup. They won't have Aaron Jones, so I'd expect a lot of A.J. Dillon from a Boston College Eagles running back. He will be the lead back tonight for Green Bay. So let's look at Jordan Love's stats. He's really started to turn things around, and that's a big reason the Packers have won three games in a row. He's starting to go on a roll, 22 passing touchdowns, attendant deceptions on the season. In his last three games, he's been red hot, eight touchdown passes with no interceptions, and he's only been sacked five times in those three games. In the last three games, he has a 100-plus passer rating in all three of those contests. But without Christian Watson tonight, that's obviously a big loss. His top target won't be in the lineup, who had four touchdowns in the last three games. But I'd expect Jaden Reed and Romeo Dobbs to step up. Two promising young receivers there. I'm a big fan of Jaden Reed. He's the main guy in that offense. I need the Giants to pay attention to tonight. I think Reed is one of the most underrated players in the NFL. When I watch his film and I watch him play every week, he has good hands, a lot of speed, and can make big plays if you give him the opportunity. He has five touchdowns on the season, and if the Packers are going to score tonight, I think he ends up with a touchdown. But I don't really want to pick touchdown scorers from the Packers since I really can't root for the other team to have a score against the Giants. But if the Packers do score a touchdown tonight, which is likely... I'm going to go with Jaden Reed being a touchdown scorer in tonight's game. So Jordan Love has got things going as of late. The Giants' pass defense is good, though. The ninth in quarterback rating allowed this season, and that's a big reason the Giants have turned things around a little bit, winning two games in a row. The defense has been solid. The secondary has kept things together. So credit to Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, and also rookie cornerback Deontay Banks. He's been very good this season. Matt LaFleur has won 16 games in a row in the month of December as a head coach. Maybe the Giants beat that streak tonight. The Giants are coming off a bye week. They've won two games in a row. They're 4-8 and eight on the season and are still alive. If they win tonight's game, they're one game out of the playoffs. If they lose tonight's game, they hold the fourth overall pick in the NFL draft. So very interesting to see what's at stake for the Giants. Everybody knows from listening to the podcast, I want the Giants to win games. I think they really need to develop a winning culture. Just losing games just to do so hasn't worked in the past. I know tanking can work if you hit on a lot of your picks. I don't root for that at the end of the day. I think developing a winning culture and also trying to win games while you're still alive especially, is most important. The Giants have had high draft picks over the years, and just because you have a high draft pick doesn't mean the guy's going to pan out and you're going to hit on the pick. Look at Kadarius Tony, Eric Flowers, Eli Apple, DeAndre Baker, and so far in his career, Evan Neal. He hasn't looked great, but that doesn't mean he can't turn things around. I still think the Giants need to put him inside as a god next season. So like I said, the Giants are still alive where they currently stand. Four and eight, and if they win tonight, they're only a game out of the playoffs. Tommy Touchdowns, has a chance to deliver on primetime television tonight for the Giants. It's a home game at MetLife Stadium, Monday Night Football. Something he's probably dreamed of his entire life is playing in a Monday Night Football game for the Giants at MetLife Stadium just down the street from where he grew up. That is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. So I'm rooting for the kid to do well. Seven passing touchdowns on the season, three interceptions, 
does have a rushing touchdown, has been sacked 28 times in five games, 15 times over the last two games. One thing is that the offensive line hasn't been reliable all season. If you watch the Giants game, you can see the offensive line's been a makeshift unit all season long, and they've really struggled for the most part. But Tommy DeVito does hold the ball for a good amount of time in the pocket, so if you can find a way to evade the rush, get out of the pocket, and throw the ball away, that would obviously be huge for the Giants rather than taking a sack. But obviously, worst-case scenario would be fumbling the ball, and you don't want that to happen. So I'd rather them take a sack than fumble the ball. And obviously, that's something you're going to learn. As a young quarterback, it's a big thing jumping from college to the NFL. He's going to figure that out, obviously, over the next few games. He earned the right to start out of a Tyrod Taylor. I'm excited to see what he does in tonight's game. I know a lot of people are comparing Daniel Jones right now to Tommy DeVito, but DeVito hasn't had to face the competition that Daniel Jones had to at the beginning of the season. The defense that Daniel Jones went up to begin the year, San Francisco, Miami, Dallas, DJ faced some of the best defenses in the NFL to begin the year. I know DeVito did go up against the Cowboys, did throw a touchdown pass in that game. But at the end of the day, Daniel Jones did not have an easy schedule to begin the season. But I'm not really trying to compare DeVito and Daniel Jones. Two very different situations. Two expectations around both these plays that are very different. That doesn't mean I'm not rooting for either one of these guys if they're the starting quarterback for the Giants. I'm excited to see what DeVito can do in tonight's game. Tommy Cutlets has really embraced the Italian character that's been built around him on the internet. An Italian from New Jersey, born and raised New York Giants fan, still lives at home. I mean, such a great story all around. Rooting for the kid to do well tonight. But I know if he were to have a bad game, people would completely turn on him. As I've said now a million times this season, it's a week-to-week league. Teams show up on a week-to-week basis. One week, they're a potential Super Bowl team. The next week, they're a pretender. And then also, fans have opinions on players on a week-to-week basis. They switch up very fast, and a lot of time, they follow what the crowd says. So if DeVito were to have a bad game... A lot of people would flip on it, but I wouldn't. One game does not make a quarterback, whether good or bad. One game does not make a quarterback. So for tonight's game, I think the X factor for the Giants is Kayvon Thibodeau. Two and a half sacks in the last two games. 11 sacks on the season with two forced fumbles. The Giants need him to force a fumble tonight and have a sack. The Giants are 29th in sacks on the season. 27th in quarterback hits. They need Thibodeau to go out there and make something happen. And I have faith and trust that he will do so tonight. The Giants will have to rely heavily on Saquon Barkley tonight. Isaiah Pacheco had a day last week versus Green Bay. 18 carries for 110 yards and a touchdown, averaging just about 6 yards per carry. Saquon in the season, 700 rushing yards, a rushing touchdown, and 4 touchdown receptions. I expect him to be relied on heavily tonight for maybe 22 to 23 touches. I think he's going to be around 19 carries or 85 yards, 3 catches for 22 yards and a touchdown. As for the Giants' injuries in tonight's game, they will not have Evan Neal, and then they have a lot of questionable guys for tonight's matchup, including tight end Daniel Bellinger, defensive lineman Dexter Lawrence, and linebacker Isaiah Simmons. In primetime TV this year, the Giants are 0-4 and have been outscored 108-24. That's why at one point at the beginning of the season, when the Giants were struggling, they had a night game, a Sunday night game against Buffalo. I said I'd rather be a day game because I thought the Giants had a better opportunity with it being in the day. But that doesn't mean the Giants can't win tonight's game. Anyone can win any given week in the NFL, whether you're an underdog or a heavy favorite. Anybody can win any given week. So for my prediction for tonight's game, I think the Giants are going to surprise tonight and win the game 24-20. I think Wondell Robinson has a touchdown in tonight's game. I was going to originally predict a Daniel Bellinger touchdown, but since he's hurt and questionable, I'm going to roll with Wondell Robinson, who I think is an absolute baller and a very underrated player for the Giants. I think he has five catches of 65 yards and a touchdown tonight. He only has one touchdown on the season, the last one being on November 5th versus the Raiders. I think he scores tonight. As for Tommy DeVito, I think he's 22 of 31 passing for 227 yards, a passing touchdown, a rushing touchdown, and a turnover. I think he delivers in tonight's game and delivers a big win for the Giants. As for the Titans-Dolphins game, the Dolphins will be home in that one. I love having two Monday Night Football games. Unfortunately, won't be watching the Miami game since I'm going to be watching the Giants. 
But both games, obviously, being at the same time, it's a little tough for the NFL. I wish they did like a 7-15, 8-15, like they've done before the beginning of the season when they had two Monday Night Football games. I think that's the best formula for it. You can watch both games, flip channels both ways. But I would have only watched the Giants tonight anyways, even if they were on two different times. One thing that's interesting is that the Manning cast on ESPN2 tonight will be talking about both games, and Eli and Peyton will be having guests on, as they always do, but they'll be following both games. So that'll be a fun one to watch. I won't be able to see it live, but hopefully I'll catch the highlights of that on YouTube. I'll be rooting for Miami in this game. I still think they're a top three team in the NFL. They're 9-3 on the season, have won three straight games, and they're 5-0 at home. So that's obviously big being at home for Monday Night Football. 24 passing touchdowns on the season for Tua. 10 interceptions with 288 passing yards per game. He's still the MVP in my opinion, but I think Dak Prescott is right there where we currently stand. He has been absolutely balling. Both Dak and Tua have really silenced a lot of the haters this season, and it's been obviously a great thing to follow. As for the Titans, they have 4-8 on the season, 0-6 on the road, so they obviously have an uphill battle facing Miami, who's been red hot as of late, winning three straight games. Will Levis, seven passing touchdowns on the season, two interceptions, and 211 passing yards per game. I think Miami wins this one 30-17. I think Jalen Waddell has a touchdown in tonight's game. He only has three touchdowns on the season, has not scored since October 29th. I think he scores in tonight's game. And I'm also going to predict a first touchdown of the season for Dolphins tight end Durham Smythe. For some reason, I feel he's going to score tonight. Last night in the Sunday night game, I had a feeling Michael Gallup would score, even though he had one touchdown all season. He ended up scoring in that game last night. So we'll see what Durham Smythe can do in tonight's game. As for what I think the score is going to be, as I said, I think it's going to be 30-17. to 17. I think Miami wins, and as in the Giants game, I got the Giants winning that one 24-20. So now to close out the episode, I'm going to talk about the Clippers, who have won the 8 of the last 11 games. They're now 11-10 on the season, with a home game tonight against the Portland Trailblazers. They're coming off a 117-103 win this past Friday over Utah. It was a quiet landed masterclass in that game. 41 points, a 14-23 shooting, 6-8 of eight from 3, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, and a block. He is ultimately... A top five player in the NBA when he is on like he was in that game. And I think he exhibited the fact that when he is on, he is unstoppable like we saw in that game on Friday night. The Clippers do need Kawhi to be like that if they want to win the NBA Finals this season. We cannot have a laid-back Kawhi Leonard who only has 18 points like we saw in a couple of those first few games with James Harden. We need Kawhi Leonard attacking the basket and putting up 30 points if we want to win the NBA Finals. That's a reality. And most importantly, we need the Clippers to stay healthy. If they stay healthy, I think the sky's the limit. And I think they win the NBA Finals, truly. And I'm trying to put all bias aside. When you're watching the Clippers play and you have James Harden with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the floor, it is very hard for the opposing defense to try to hone in on those guys. Very hard. James Harden drives, kicks it out to Kawhi, and then Kawhi swings it across the court on a swing pass to Paul George for three. That is very hard to cover. So I really do think this Clippers team can win the NBA Finals. I really do. And things are really starting to come together for this team. James Harden starting to get chemistry with the guys around him. I knew it takes some time. For them to officially mold together. But like I said in a few of my episodes when they were struggling. I quoted Steve Adazio, former Boston College football head coach. It'll come together and it's going to be beautiful. And I knew it was going to come together. And I knew it was going to be beautiful. And we're starting to see what this Clippers team is capable of. When everyone's fully healthy and the chemistry is there. They're 8-3 in the last 11 games. And we're building. Hopefully win tonight's game. And then we're 9-3 in the last 12. Which is huge considering where they started in the beginning of the James Harden era. In the last five games, James Harden's averaging 19.4 points per game, 3.8 rebounds, 8.2 assists, shooting 47% from three, and also has two steals per game. Honestly, his defense has been underrated. He's not getting much credit for his defense right now, but he's been playing a lot harder defense than he's typically known for, and a lot of people have criticized his defense over his entire career. But when I've seen him play this year for the Clippers, 
He's playing hard and he's averaging two steals per game. That's solid. You'll take that any night. But having Kawhi Leonard and Paul George out there to cover the best players on the opposing team, that's also a benefit as well. In 16 games of the season, Harden's averaging 15.8 points per game, 4.4 rebounds, and 6.8 assists per game, which is obviously great to see. Also averaging 1.6 steals per game overall this year in the 16 games he's been in. After the big win against Denver this past week, he had a great post-game interview, and I'm going to play that for you here right now. James, you had a 20.11 assist double-double. As you play more games with this team, how are you approaching getting yourself and your teammates going? Uh, I think it starts with me and being uh, definitive, getting to the basket, uh, being an offensive generator out there, and just being aggressive. And that's going to uh, make it easier for my teammates. So um, I think we're, we're starting to become who we are, uh, moving into the ball. So uh, it's a process, it's a long season, but uh, we're building in the right direction. Well, you guys are 7-3 and three in the last 10 games. So where would you say you are in the process of putting this all together? a long way to go. Well, with the amount of expectation and pressure and noise, how do you guys keep patience through the process? I mean, there's going to be noise no matter how you look at it. Um, you know, whether, whatever team it is, uh, they got expectations, especially the, the good ones. So uh, for us, I think it's just focusing on ourselves, what we can control, and uh, continue to get better every single day, uh, preparing for our postseason. One guy to call out. What did Russ's energy off the bench in that fourth quarter mean for your team? It was, you know what I mean? Uh, it's probably a little frustrated because, you know, he wants to play more minutes. Uh, but he's done an unbelievable job of just, you know, being a true professional. Uh, today he came in the game and, and changed the game uh, with his energy, rebounds, and things like that. So, um, I mean, as much as we want to all be great and, you know, do our thing, I think the sacrifice for our unit, and we've done a great job of that so far. So, uh, it's a good one for us. So there's a couple of things there that stood out to me. He said game by game, possession by possession, that's the way you have to take the NBA season. Just a five-game losing streak to begin the James Harden era, I wasn't too worried. It was only five games in an 82-game season. You couldn't worry that much. Did the Clippers look good in those five games? No. But they also were just trying to get chemistry and try to figure things out and figure out the rotations. I wasn't too worried after five games. And he also noted one other thing. Sacrifice. And that's one thing the whole Clippers lineup has had to do to get this win streak going. It's great to see the big four molding all together, but one thing that's had to happen is sacrifice. Sacrifice has been huge for this team. Winning does come with sacrificing. So that means less minutes for Russell Westbrook. DNPs did not plays for P.J. Tucker and Bones Highland, even though all three of those guys should be getting more minutes than they are right now. But they're sacrificing in order for the team to benefit. And it's obviously tough to see. Russell Westbrook, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, James Harden, all four of these guys being together, they know sacrifice is what's needed for the ultimate goal of winning a ring. There won't be many nights where all four of these guys are high in scoring. Maybe two of them in every given night will have 25 plus points. There won't be many nights where all four of these guys have 20 plus points. Not many nights. But it's not all about scoring, and they all know that at this stage of their career. It's about trying to win in the NBA Finals. And the Clippers have really started to figure out the rotation. What would I do if I were the Clippers? If I would ever split up the big four... I think Russell Westbrook pairs better with Paul George, and I think James Harden pairs better with Kawhi Leonard. One thing that's happened is that Ty Lewis split up Harden and Westbrook. They haven't been on the floor much now over the last four to five games. And it's obviously been working. They're winning games. Both these guys are playmaking gods and look for their teammates to make plays. So you have two guys with court vision that both want the ball in their hands. It's better to split them up, and then they're more effective when both of them can do what they do on a daily basis. Go out there, 
drive down the lane and kick it out. It's hard to do that with them both on the floor, so splitting them up made sense. But all four of these guys had their fingerprints on the Clippers' 111-102 win over Denver. Statement win from that Clippers team against a healthy Denver Nuggets lineup. They show that the Clippers can beat them when both teams are fully healthy, the Clippers can beat the Denver Nuggets. And it did take a career-high in field goal misses by Nikola Jokic, who was 9 of 32 in that game, 2 of 7 from 3, 22 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. Still had a good night stat-line-wise if you look at the points, rebounds, and assists, but was 9 of 32 from the floor. There's not going to be many nights when he struggles like that shooting the ball. But credit to Vita Zubats and Daniel Tice. They made it hard on Jokic in that game. Then the Clippers got another big statement win over Golden State on December 2nd. The Clippers were down seven in that game, heading into the fourth quarter, and took a game-winning three-pointer from Paul George, with the Clippers trailing by two points with around 10 seconds to go. Hits a game-winning shot, took guts to take that, but he shut all the haters up with that big three. Paul George has been a top-10 player in the NBA this season, in my opinion. If you don't have him top-10, I'd say top-15 at the very least. He's averaging 23.4 points per game, four assists, six rebounds, 1.8 steals, and shooting 39% from three. It's not all about stats. When you watch him play... He's either the first or the second best player on the floor in most given nights this season. Like I said, though, there's a lot of sacrifice that's had to happen with this team for them to win games. Russell Westbrook's minutes haven't lessened, which is tough to see him lessening his minutes now every single given night. But I respect Russ for being the leader and saying he'd be the one to go to the bench. It takes a lot to say that as a former MVP, a scoring title champ, and also a Hall of Famer. It takes guts. It takes a lot to say, yeah, I'll go to the bench. But obviously it's worked for this team. But it's sad to see him getting under 20 minutes in four of the last five games played. Since James Harden joined the lineup, Russ is averaging 10.4 points per game, 6.3 rebounds, 4.3 assists, and shooting just 22% from three in 23 minutes per game played. Before Harden entered the lineup this season, in five games, he averaged 15.2 points per game, 7.8 rebounds, 7 assists, 2.2 steals, and shot 39% from three in 33 minutes per game played. So look at those numbers. 33 minutes per game played without Harden, 23 minutes per game with Hutton in the lineup. He's the one making the biggest sacrifice to make this all work. So credit to Russ for being that leader. Another person that sacrificed is PJ Tucker, who's been frustrated with his minutes. He's had a DNP in five straight games, and he's completely fallen out of the rotation. I was really happy to see him in the deal. Since I've always been a fan of him, I've always thought he fit the mold of a Clippers player with a Clipper mentality. He's a dog who plays hard, always dives on loose balls, and chases every rebound he can. He tries to make second-chance points happen as much as he can, trying to crash the offensive boards. In 12 games played, though, this season with the Clippers, he's averaging just 1.2 points per game, 2.4 rebounds per game, with 1.2 offensive rebounds per game. He has crashed the boards well when he's out there, and also averaging 0.5 steals per game in just 14.4 minutes played. I think it's only a matter of time, though, until the Clippers move on from him. Whether it's he's cut or traded, a move's happening soon. Since he's frustrated with his role, and I feel like every team could use a hard-playing veteran like P.J. Tucker, who doesn't need the ball, grabs offensive rebounds, can defend well, and plays hard. Never forget him making things really hard on Nikola Jokic a couple weeks ago. He was forcing Nikola Jokic out of the paint and backing him up all the way to the three-point line with his strength. P.J. Tucker is a strong dude, and even though I'd love for him to stay with the Clippers, he deserves minutes elsewhere. He really does. Another guy who's had to sacrifice is Bones Highland. He's been getting DNPs as well. He hasn't played in nine games since the James Harden trade. Nine games. Before Harden entered the lineup, he played in five games, making two starts, averaging 13.6 points per game, 1.2 rebounds per game, 2.0 assists per game, shooting 42% from three. Since the trade went down, though, he's appeared in just four games with nine DMPs as well. And in those four games, 1.5 points per game, 0.3 rebounds per game, 0.3 assists per game, 
0.3 steals per game and 3.3 minutes per game. And it's sad to see him not playing because the kid really does have the ability to be a 15-point-per-game score every single night. He's an absolute bucket who deserves more minutes and is a future star in the NBA. He really is. He could be a star right now if given the opportunity, but the Clippers have too many guards. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Terrence Mann, Norman Powell. If they were to move on from one of those guys like Norman Powell, then Bones Highland would get more minutes. But I think they're going to make a decision soon on Bones Highland, and I think they're going to move him. Not because Bones is not a talented player. He is a very talented player. But in this rotation right now, he's not going to get any minutes the way things currently stand. Should he get more minutes? Yes. If I was Ty Lue, would he be getting more minutes? 100%. Bones Highland would be getting 15 minutes off the bench every single night because he's a spark off the bench who can score, hustles on defense, and can make plays. He can shoot the ball. He can drive. can get to the rim. He can do everything you need from a guy off the bench. And honestly, he could be a starter on a good amount of teams, I feel like, as well. He has the ability to be a star in this league. But where the Clippers currently stand, he's not getting any minutes. But one thing I'd love to see is that Bowens Highland is a great teammate. He really is. I love seeing him still cheering on the rest of the guys on the team. Even though he's not getting any minutes, he's still on the bench, still locked in, and celebrating after they hit big threes and are winning games. He doesn't let the minutes situation with him getting either no minutes or getting two minutes at the end of the game, he doesn't let that frustration show. He doesn't at all. I'm a big fan of him as a basketball player, but I also love his rap music as well. Check out his music on Spotify. Busy is his name. B-I-Z-Z-Y. Honestly, a very good rapper as well. He's just as talented in the studio as he is on the court. So one last thing I want to mention is Daniel Tice's addition to the lineup. And he's been great off the bench. We got Avita Zubats as a starting center. But when Mason Plumlee went down, the Clips had to run small ball late in games. And it didn't work. The Clips had to go out and get a big man. And they went out and got Daniel Tice for free on the open market. Which was a huge pickup by Lawrence Frank. Credit to Frank for getting him for free. Having an actual center, even though he's only around 6'8 or 6'9", having an actual center for the second unit is huge. And he's made a career in the NBA as a center. So even though he's only 6'8", he has made it through the NBA for six or seven seasons at that height as a center. In 10 games for the Clippers, 7.6 points per game, 4.9 rebounds per game, shooting 42% from three with 1.1 blocks per game. With no base at Plumlee for a few months, the Clippers had no choice but to go out and make a change and find somebody in the open market. And Daniel Tice getting him for free is an unreal pickup. And he's been a big reason the Clips have turned things around as well. They've needed somebody to step up in the second unit. And since Daniel Tice has stepped in the lineup, the Clips are 7-3 in those 10 games with him, which is great to see. And I didn't panic too much. They were 0-6 in the first six games in the James Harden era, 0-5 with Harden on the court at first. But since then, they're 8-3 in the last 11 games and could be 9-3 in the last 12 with a win tonight over Portland. And I'd love to see it. This Clippers team has finally flipped a switch. And it's something we knew they were capable of. We knew this team, especially when you're looking at the team on paper, we knew this team was capable of anything. This team can win the NBA Finals if everybody stays healthy. This is only the start of the season. There's still a long way to go. But 8-3 and three in the last 11 and flipping the momentum is huge for this team and obviously for the locker room as well. It's been great to see. So we'll see what they do in tonight's game. But it's going to be an exciting night. Two Monday Night Football games with the Clippers at 1030. I'm excited to see the Clippers and Giants hopefully both get wins on Monday night. Anyways, that'll wrap up this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.